0: Welcome to B2B Power Hour, where we dive deep into the real sales issues that stop you from making a good living in the profession we love. We discuss how to get, keep, and grow customers by unpacking the prospecting and selling techniques that work in 2023, the ones that you want in your personal OS as a seller. Forget the hustle, it's time for a Power Hour. Now on to today's episode. Welcome back to this episode of the B2B Power Hour. Today, I am joined by Breezy Beaumont. She is the head of growth and marketing at Correlated, a product-led revenue platform, as well as a podcast host herself of the Product-Led Revenue Podcast. Breezy, I'm so thrilled to have you on today because I got to admit, I think maybe Chris Walker had commented on one of your posts about... (laughs) product-qualified leads, and there's some good chatter back and forth in the comments. And I realized I just wanted to talk with you about revenue intelligence and RevOps and get your take on everything. So uh, thanks for coming on for this episode today. It's great to have you.
1: Thanks, Morgan. Yes, I love a good uh, controversial post that gets the people talking. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all, right? <laughs> Where I thought maybe we could begin is to sort of differentiate or or create some guidelines for people to understand product-led go-to-market motions compared to other go-to-markets like account-based sales development, ABM, traditional outbound, inbound. So what would you say are sort of the key ingredients that differentiate a product-led go-to-market to to other go-to-market motions that companies run?
1: Product-led growth is really putting your product at the core of everything that you're doing. So whether that's on during the sales process, on your website, everything that you're doing is putting your product at the core of that and making sure that your customers or prospects are successful in every piece of that journey, whether they're just starting with your product, whether they're on a free tier of it, or if you know they're one of your enterprise accounts. Mm-hmm. And then I think one of the misconceptions and we can dive into this a little bit, is that product-led growth means that the product sells itself and and that's the end-all (laughs) be-all. Definitely not the case. 96% of product-led companies have sales teams. It's always a hybrid of what we would traditionally think of as a sales-led company or or a traditional software Mm -hmm. go-to-market approach. But it's a hybrid of that, along with putting your product at the forefront of, what you're doing.
0: Digital self-service does not make a product-led company, but it sounds like digital self-service is sort of a prerequisite for a product-led company. So how would you think about layering on that buyer's journey? Obviously, instead of talking to a salesperson, they can probably sign up for the product immediately and try it out. So how does that begin to shift sort of the later pieces, especially when we think about the sales teams involved here? How does that shift like sales role in getting customers onboarded um, and getting deals basically closed one in the pipeline?
1: Giving people the option on your website to get started with your product and create their account right there definitely does not mean that any parts of that sales process go away. So when you think of like a product-led growth company, they might sort of have like different tiers. There might be a fully self-service tier where these people are saying, here's my credit card, paid to use it great. Never want to or need to talk to anybody at all. And that's totally fine. That's great. Like, let that be what it is. Then you're going to find more of your commercial and SMB type deals. And those are going to be more high velocity sales. And those are definitely going to have a sales assist through all of those. Um, And then, of course, if you have enterprise deals on top, then there's definitely going to be you know, the sales cycle and any enterprise deal, whether you're product-led or not, is going to be a longer sales cycle and there's going to be a lot of involvement there. So there's different layers and ways that you might segment out your user base kind of based on those different factors that I mentioned. But in general, to answer your question about how it changes the role of sales, I think it changes it in a couple of ways. So I think, first of all, sellers are more of a product expert They genuinely understand how to use the product. They have been in the product themselves. And this goes actually for the entire revenue org. Same with CS, same with marketers. But I think one of the the big swaps for sales team at a product-led company is that you need to have the data and insights to understand how people are actually using your product. Or else what you do (laughs) is you reach out to them. And so someone's using your product. They're happily and they're doing their thing and you reach out to them like, hey, how's it going? You know, and you have like nothing to say. So you really need those insights to be able to have a good conversation to say, hey, you know, I saw you invited three users. Do you want to set up an onboarding call and, and I can get my CS person on it? Or I saw you were clicking on this premium feature. Maybe it's not something you're paying for today, but here's some benefits you can get out of it. Maybe do you want to expand to the next year? Um And so the selling motion is more of an informed, based on how people are using your product, being able to have a conversation there. And then, you know, maybe on top of that, there is pure outbound sales, other motion piece there as well.
0: Totally, which I want to get to in a second. It's really funny. I think it was maybe a couple months ago, Nick had shared on a live show that Somebody from HubSpot had basically done exactly that. He had some intent trigger using HubSpot that Nick had clicked some button or looked at something and followed up. And maybe he was technically an account manager. I forget the title that they used there, but was exactly that same offer. Like, hey, saw you were clicking around here. Would you be interested in trying this part of our program out or would you like an upgrade in here? And we were both really impressed, I think, on that, not just like that informed outreach, but the level of detail and attention to an individual user that they're yeah. using basically.
1: Yeah, well, I was gonna you have, have. I I
0: saw.
1: Saw. <laughs> <laughs> Um but I mean it's like that's like the the goal, right? You always wanna be thinking about how can we Mm -hmm. add value? And in any sales outreach, it's always, how can I add value? So you try to personalize it based on that actual person and maybe things they've been talking about on social sites. You try to talk about their business and the value that you can add to their business and all these things. And so we've been trying all these different ways to be relevant, add value to people. But the most successful way to be relevant and add value is say like, hey, you are literally doing this because I can see that you're doing it. And how can I help you along in that process? It's the goal we've always wanted. And now the data is actually just there (laughs) to allow for it.
0: Totally. And I think this brings us into that product qualified lead as a concept. And it's something that you've been posting a lot about recently out on LinkedIn, which I love. So just to pause here for a second, how would you define and differentiate not just a marketing qualified lead and a product qualified lead, Mm -hmm. but also a product qualified lead and a sales qualified lead, sort of in the traditional pipeline motion, usually there's that handoff from somebody in marketing to somebody in sales. So then it becomes a qualified opportunity. Where does a PQL fit into that? And give us some color here, Breezy. I'm really interested.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So I'll kind of give a definition of the three of them. In marketing qualified lead, you're generally looking at some combination of information about the lead or the contact. That can be things like they have a manager plus title or this or that, or they're in this part of the company. And then you're also looking at things about the account. So, okay, that company has over a hundred employees. They are located in this territory of the US, et cetera. And so you're looking at these contacts and or lead contact and account criteria. And then on top of that, you're looking at things for a marketing qualified lead. You're looking at things that they've done um, to engage with your marketing materials. So is it different things they've clicked around on the website, events that they've attended, Mm -hmm. eBooks that they downloaded, if anybody still has people downloading eBooks. And so things like that for the MQL, (laughs) sales qualified lead is... Then once someone's become an MQL and they've been, and this isn't kind of the traditional model, when they become an MQL, pass over to sales, they might become an SQL based on if they meet different criteria of, you know, do they have a need? Is there a timeline? Whatever their sales methodology is, maybe following BANT, MEDIC, blah, blah, blah. You're looking at some of the same lead or contact criteria and the same account criteria as you would in the MQL, the SQL, And actually the same goes for a PQL a lot of the time. But the difference is instead of looking at activities that they're taking in our marketing materials or attending events with us, you're looking at what are they actually doing in our product? So have they been logging in a certain amount of times? Have they been clicking on certain features? Have they built a dashboard? Have they invited other users to join them? And so it's a combination of, Actions that they've taken inside of your product, as well as some of that, what we would think of as traditional sales data.
0: That makes a ton of sense. And you can have multiple PQLs because they're basically like intent triggers.
1: Yes. Actually, you should really not just have one PQL.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: this is probably one of the big differences, though, between so you generally at a company, you have one definition for an MQL. Maybe you have something like a re MQL or a cycled MQL, but you really have like, one definition. Mm -hmm. And then same for an SQL. But when you get into PQLs, uh, it's more than one. So it's about the whole customer lifecycle of your users. And so your first definition for a PQL might be they've signed up to use our product and they've logged in more than three times in the last week. Great. First definition of first time that they become a PQL. Now they have invited more users and they've started taking X amount of actions. Okay, now they are a PQL again. And the reason for having so many different PQL opportunities when in the past we just had, you know, MQL, SQL, sell opportunity and close is that that was a very linear process. Yep. And the process in the product-led growth world is very non-linear, it's actually very cyclical. And so expansion is really big. So you might land a deal that's fairly small. And within even just a year of landing that deal, they might expand three or four times. Mm -hmm. And so every time you're going through these expansion motions, that's another time when that PQL is surfaced. And hopefully then you can kind of close to the next expansion level and so on and so forth.
0: It's so interesting because I never really considered PQLs aren't exclusively on the front end of the buying motion. It's, as you said, it's about the whole customer life cycle. And so it's a constant attention to how users and customers are using your product and providing value in meaningful ways, as you had mentioned, and continuing to understand ways or triggers or behavioral uses or the other ways that customers are using your product in which you could insert a value conversation even if they've been a customer for five years (laughs) and not just on the front end when somebody's on a freemium trial and they signed up for a 30-day free trial or whatever. PQLs can be there, but then it sounds like they are also and they need to be further down the line as a customer has been with your company for years on end, and it's sort of a retain and grow, land and expand sort of motion, but with the same set of data.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so that's why it's sort of like all hands on deck. That's why it's the idea of it really being the revenue org and not necessarily just sales. It it is really everyone. Mm -hmm. That also sort of points out one additional difference for sales teams and product-led growth companies is that after the deal is closed, the land has been made they don't just drop the account and hand it over to CS. They're with that account generally for like the lifetime of the account. Mm. To make sure that that happens, there's been a shift in the way that sales teams are compensated, especially in product-led orgs. And that's to focus a majority of their variable compensation on expansion. So maybe you get 25% on the land, but 75% on the expand in the first you know, 12 or 18 months or something like that. And so that also very much changes the way that a salesperson would work because they have so much vested interest in making sure that each customer is successful.
0: Totally. It's not just all on the front end. I want to linger here for a moment and talk a little bit about that restructuring of companies inside of a product-led movement because obviously in traditional outbound, inbound movements and even account well not account based in an idealized world but sometimes account based in reality there's a lot of friction between sales and marketing and everyone forgets about customer success because it's oh we just kind of hand it off to them but what you are pointing to which i like is that inside a product-led movement it isn't all hands on deck because each person is required at every stage of the buyer's journey to provide value in a unique way and to use similar data sets As you sort of survey the landscape of the market, what are sort of the things you see that companies do really well when it comes to structuring a revenue team? Mm -hmm. And what are some things that you see as mistakes as companies attempt to do (laughs) product-led? Especially from like an organizational side, not just from like a a tactical deployment side.
1: There's a lot of different shifts that are happening. So first of all, there's new roles that are popping up. um, And then there's some shifts in the way that existing roles work. So... One of the new roles, for instance, is product specialist or, you know, similarly titled. And that's basically a cross between an SDR. It's almost the level of BDR or SDR, but with more of a customer success feel about them. And so what their job is, is to get people who are initially interested in using the products, maybe on the free tier, to help onboard them and get them involved in using the product more. The product specialist role is an interesting one. I've also seen a shift in a couple other roles. So marketing, for instance, has a little bit more of a stake in working with the product team and building virality into the product. So when you think of if I create a Calendly for myself, if I want to schedule some time with you, I send it to you. Now you've seen the product. Same goes for like expensing software. If I send you an invoice and their little logos down at the bottom, now you know about that company. And so doing things like that to build the virality piece, that's an additional part of the marketing role in a product-led org. Hmm. We talked about the shift of sales being a little bit more customer success, focusing on expansion. On the customer success side, there's been a little bit of a shift. So because ideally in a product-led growth company, if you're doing your job right and marketing is building in that virality into the product, Then you have a ton of signups. And we'll talk to people who have 10,000 plus signups per month to use their product. There's no way that you can assign a CS to 10,000 people per month. And so there's been sort of like a tiering out of accounts. So they're enter the product specialist to help with maybe some Uh of the lower tier ones or just the initial landing piece of those. And then CS maybe is only assigned to what would be considered like a tier one account or a more mid-market to enterprise size deal. So yeah, those are kind of some of the shifts that happen. I'd say, you know, it's not like night and day. There's definitely a lot of similarities between what has existed in our traditional or sales-led approach, go-to-market approach in previous companies, but Mm -hmm. there's even more so the walls between each role are kind of taken down and the cross functional piece of every single role is crucial it's not really a nice to have anymore it's it's really a need to have
0: what do you think about mistakes when it comes to restructuring roles and i don't know if this is necessarily a fair question because sometimes companies are product led from the get go and so they're sort of just that's their go to market the entire life cycle that they've existed But there are other companies I've begun to see and maybe you have as well that have run traditional outbound inbound programs and are beginning to shift because of the nature of their product to something product led. So in either case, are there classic mistakes you see (laughs) from these companies as they make that transition?
1: I think one of the biggest mistakes companies can make as they're shifting from a traditional to product led approach is designating out a certain team that only works on the product-led piece. So in an effort to not disrupt what's currently going on, I've seen a couple companies create almost a separate team who handles this. And I think that's actually a huge miss. I understand if you're maybe doing that as a way to sort of test it out, but past the testing it out phase, if you're segmenting out your people, product sign up folks from what would go down a traditional demo path. It's, you're missing out on it because it's not one or the other. They're interweave with each other. So if I sign up to use a product, I might one week later say, hey, I'd like to have a demo now or vice versa. If I sign up for a demo, I might say, okay, great, can I get started with your product now? And if you try to create this separation between the two, you're going to have people who are, pushing your users and hopefully customers in the wrong direction. So they're going to try to gate them away from using the product because they want to keep them on their sales process. Mm. And that's not what we want. We want people using our product and getting value out of it and becoming successful paying customers because at the end of the day, we all are looking to, to drive more revenue. So that's definitely one of the big misses. I think for Really early founder stage companies, a huge uh, mistake that I sometimes see, and I'm hoping to see less over time, is the idea that you've built such an amazing product that it will just sell itself. And this is something pre-product-led growth that people just thought would happen. And at some point, hopefully, like this stops happening. It's crazy to me. Totally. But no, (laughs) your product isn't going to sell itself. Maybe some subset of it will. Amazing. We love to see that. Um, But you still need to make sure you have marketers, you have salespeople, and you have customer success folks.
0: Totally. That's so funny. (laughs) It really is persistent, isn't it? Never ends. It never ends. One thing that I hear you talking about that's driving some of what you just said is that I think the best way to address this is I've seen RevOps profession and also as positions and hiring as sort of a response to the classic silos. And in larger organizations, sometimes it's just another cook in the kitchen. It's never actually a solution to the underlying issues that companies have in which, oh, our marketing and sales teams don't talk to each other, or they have data, but it's not being shared, or there's not a central intelligence to the company. So let's set up a RevOps function. And then naturally, there's maybe a CRO, but maybe a head of RevOps. And then There's a marketing ops team, and then there's a sales ops team, and then suddenly we're just back to the same fragmentation that we used to have. And what you're pointing to, and I like to dive into this a little bit, is that inside a product-led movement, It's a need to have in order to succeed as a product led team in which RevOps isn't something that gets layered on as sort of like a fourth layer of the cake, but is baked into the model and the ways that those companies work. So when you think through product led companies, what are those central ingredients of like constructing revenue intelligence? Is it a CRO that runs everything? Is it one CRM that everybody's using? How can companies effectively not only just bring together the data, but use it in a wise manner across all of their teams?
1: We've seen these roles pop up that try to almost centralize a lot of information. So RevOps being one of them, the one on the op side, revenue marketer, lifecycle marketers on the marketing side, <laughs> and so on and so forth. So we've seen them pop up in a lot of different growth title, which is basically just like, oh, just like fix all the problems that you see. There's always been sort of these like central pieces and they do sort of this glue piece to an org. (laughs) There's always a difficulty in it. Having the team roll up to one leader definitely can help. So having a CRO who manages sales, operations, customer success and marketing, or even without operations in there, at least, Marketing, customer success, and sales. So I think having those together can help to sort of bring the org together. So as far as how you structure the team, I think that can be one effective way. But I also want to dive into your question Mm -hmm. around what are some of the actual like tactics and ways that teams be able to effectively get all this data in the right place. So I think one of the crucial things is making sure that you are not only just collecting product usage data, but collecting it in the right way and tagging your data in the right way. So to help teams who are thinking about this and working on this, we created a few different blogs for, okay, you're looking to set up segment to collect your product usage data. Here are our tips on how you might want to do that. We've put together some documentation around that. So I'm happy to share that with folks. I think one of the trends we're seeing, that's a good way to like a forcing function on centralizing data is we're seeing a lot more, and especially on the product like growth side, but even just at any company in SaaS space using their data warehouse as the central spot where everything goes. So something like a Snowflake or Redshift, BigQuery. So everything goes into your data warehouse. What used to be is, oh, the CRM is like our source of truth. Right. In product like growth, they can have so many signups, like we talked about per month, that If you tried to put all those into your CRM, it would be absolutely insane mayhem. And also you'd be paying astronomical amounts. So you can't put everything into your CRM. So instead everything's going into the data warehouse and then based on criteria of product usage and this and that, maybe that person then goes into your CRM. Also with all of that information sort of centralized in your data warehouse, at Correlated, we're also building our product then on top of the data warehouse. We can plug into tools like Segment, but we're also building on top of the data warehouse so that we can help to like bring together those insights mm-hmm. around product usage and tying that together with your your more traditional like CRM data. So that's definitely a trend that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And I do expect that to continue, especially towards while more companies are trying to make it easier for people to access their product, try it out on their own. Um, this crazy amount of influx of data that we have that's amazing and gives us so much ability to do our jobs in a much more effective way, but it needs to be managed in a central spot. So a data warehouse allows for that.
0: What just popped into my head is how do you think about manual work versus automated work, particularly tying in PQLs? Obviously, you have a big data warehouse, Correlated can lay on top of that, but whatever tool that companies are using to access the product usage data, segment it, understand it. What pieces of that, especially as product-led, as you said, scales, and you get thousands and thousands of signups, how do you think through discerning Oh, this should be something automated, like an automated email, an automated outreach sequence, something that technically has a name attached to it, but maybe isn't mm-hmm. manual versus something that's manually done. Is that like a judgment call based on what PQL that person is qualifying for? Or like, how do you think through that?
1: We actually dog fooding our own product at Correlated. Um, Everybody's, if, you, if you're not dog fooding your own product, like you're missing out. Uh, so <laughs> we dog food our own product. Yeah. And so we have some signals that are PQLs that basically we get signaled in Slack based on actions that people take that are maybe higher value. So for us, we use that to say, okay, you know, maybe this requires a little bit more human thinking on top of it. And so by notifying the person who either owns that account or owns subset of users, they can get notified based on how, you know, what's happened, like have they tried some key feature or or, or whatever it may be. Hmm. And so for those maybe higher value ones, notifying the owner in Slack or putting off a Salesforce task is a good way for them to sort of be the judge of what needs to happen next. So now they have the context that they need. They our sellers know. Okay, they've taken this action. They're from this size of account. Here's our past interactions with them. They have everything they need to make that call. In other cases, it makes sense to just drop them into an outreach or sales law sequence. So we're using outreach internally. And so based on that product usage, we can use Correlated to then drop them into whatever sequence makes sense there. And we're also actually building out these variable tags that, I don't know, hopefully are released next week or the following that will basically be able to say... <laughs> <laughs> I saw you invited and then like insert variable tag. So three users in the last week, you can add these different pieces of information and that makes it much easier to then automate that outreach that feels like it's coming from a person one-on-one because it is a one-on-one sequence, but it also is adding value and is relevant mm-hmm. because it's based on the actions that they've taken and you're suggesting kind of what might make sense for them to get more value out of it. I think it's sort of a judgment call. Generally, we see like Mm. it's a judgment Mm -hmm. call on the sales leadership side, right? What do they feel like needs to have handholding and not? Um, Also, you know, you could segment it out by Mm -hmm. tiers. So if it's tier one accounts, maybe you don't want anything automated to a tier one. Instead, you want to make sure that your sellers are doing one-on-one outreach. So
0: totally. I was just about to ask because you had brought up sales leadership. Like, where do you see that? judgment call living? Because one thing that has, and we're returning to this again and again, is one thing that's interested me a lot is as the lines blur between the teams, traditional, I don't know, marketing sequences now no longer technically just live in marketing. And traditional sales sequences technically no longer just live in sales, right? There's the blurring, there's the combining. Now we have product usage and intent triggers to sort of back up the decisions that we're making. So are those automated outreach sequences? Do they tend to, like, where do they live inside of a company? Maybe where should they live?
1: It's interesting. I was actually just connecting with one of the sales leaders over at Outreach and letting them know, like, (laughs) hey, by the way, we just drove like 40 more CS folks who are now using licenses of outreach (laughs) at at one of our customer companies. (laughs) It's changing the use case for a lot of these tools. So Mm. depend on who owns it. So Based on that PQL that you're following up on, it might be the BDR, STR team owning it. It could be marketing owning it because they need like a little bit more of an education and nurture. At some point, you'll pass that over to the sales team. It could be CS following up on it. You could also look at maybe negative PQL signals too. We generally talk more about when there's an expansion opportunity and a different revenue opportunity. But. You can also get notified when things start, you know, starting to go south before it's completely a done deal. (laughs) And so that's also why I like to use the phrase product-led revenue, because if you say only product-led marketing or product-led sales or product-led, because it's the revenue org and it's everyone's responsibility. We all need to be looking at the same data sets, knowing who's reaching out when, what are they getting from marketing? What are they getting from customer success? What are they getting from our product team about updates? What are they getting from our sales one-on-one outreach? We want to make sure that we're not driving everybody crazy. Instead, we want to be helping, adding value, making people's days better and easier by sort of like centralizing the data that we're working off. That's step one. And then also centralizing what that outreach looks like is sort of like step two to it. Mm-hmm. And so the owners, usually it's various stakeholders across the org depend on the customer lifecycle stage of that PQL.
0: Do you think that this lends to maybe the obsolescence or the phasing out of a role like a CMO and maybe even a VP of sales too? While there still obviously can be a head of marketing or a head of sales and you occupy such a role correlated, the traditional CMO is sort of the owner of the marketing efforts and the overall brand sometimes and internal comms and external comms and sales has, owns the outbound, inbound process and has the. but in a product led movement, as you're pointing out is not only does it help to have like a single source of truth from a data perspective, but also almost in some ways a single source of truth in decision-making and that could be a CRO, it could be a chief customer officer like a CCO that drives those decisions And I could imagine some tension if you set up a CRO and then had a CMO and a VP of sales report to them. I don't know. Have you seen like evolution of those roles or (laughs) tension?
1: (laughs) I actually don't really feel like they're going away. There are definitely changes about them though. But I don't feel like any of those are going away because there's still so many other functions of it. So even if you had a CRO who was sort of centralizing the the higher level movement of each team and thinking about how do these intertwine with each other. You'd still want to have that marketing leader who can then say, okay, here's what we have on the outside, on the this side, on the brand side, on the community side. And there's still like so many different facets to that. And then again, on the sales side, you're looking at many times still an outbound and inbound motion. And so you get the product signups, you get they'll get the leads from marketing, but you also have an outbound motion as well. Although I will say, and we do this at Correlated, so the SDR team rolls up to marketing here. I don't think it like needs to, but I think that I've seen better alignment in companies where the SDR team rolls up into marketing. So the SDR team here is not like an inbound SDR team. They're actually an outbound SDR team. Interesting. You still need leadership in each of these different pieces of sales and marketing to then take like one dive deeper into the next level of it. And like, you know, that's why we have all these layers of managers and VP and (laughs) all these things, because they're each looking one level deeper, one level deeper, or if you want to think of it the other way, like one level higher up further bird's eye view of each of the different um, functions below them. Mm -hmm. I do still think that those will exist, but some of the Practices that were probably already on their way out the door (laughs) are just definitely on their way out the door. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye.
0: (laughs) Have a nice day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is a perfect segue because I wanted to return to the the layering on traditional outbound inside of a product-led movement. And it's great to know that at Correlated, like the SDR BDR team rolls up in the marketing of something that we were actually just talking about this last week in a community room of which... Some of the benefits of that arrangement so how does the outbound conversation change for an sdr or a bdr especially obviously you'll have your own target market but as you think about like mid market or enterprise accounts especially like how does that change the conversation for an sdr conducting outreach
1: I can speak for what we're doing here. And then if we want to sort of like broaden it out, we can. But mm-hmm. so here we actually do an account-based approach. And so our SDRs are account-based and they're going outbound to mid-market and enterprise accounts. And then we will see across the board of SMB to mid-market to enterprise accounts coming inbound, either inbound just through a marketing channel or inbound product sign up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will see both sides of those, but I'd say Majority of those end up being SMB inbound, as they should be, because that's how the numbers work out. There are way more SMB size companies like this isn't rocket science. (laughs) We have our SDR set up. The way they do outbound is slightly different. And that's for a couple different reasons. So a lot of the marketing that we're doing is brand and community and content type of uh, educational and thought leadership marketing. And so we're all as a full org, not just on the revenue side, but full company is active and out there and having conversations with folks. That means there's a decent chunk of people in the world who know about Correlated and know enough about us that they're familiar, but maybe they don't know exactly what we do. The way that we then have the SDR team do their outbound approach is more of a social selling conversational mm. type of approach. So they actually are doing no cold calling at all. Mm-hmm. They are doing emailing and social, and we call it like cold outbound, but I think in some ways, most of the time that they're having these conversations, it's really like a warm outbound. People are already you know, somewhat aware of us and the the SDR is just tailoring the conversation specific to their use case, specific to their leadership role et cetera.
0: Inside an account based strategy, a lot of the time there's conversations about like buying committees and multiple stakeholders involved. But does that change in a product led movement because an individual user of the buying committee could just sign up and try the product?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for us, there are a lot of what we'll focus the SDR team on is going to be talking to more of management type roles okay. but it's very much the case that anyone of any level of role whether they're an individual contributor or management or exec level could come in and start using the products on their own and also once they start to have a conversation they can then start to use the product so that could really happen at any stage of it they might have had two three demos and now they just signed up to use our product that's fine we will happily set them up With an account, we want them to see it and get used to it and try it on their own. So that's completely fine. I'd say there is some level of just in in their the SDRs being strategic in their roles. There's some level of talking to individual contributors, learning what their problems are, learning what they do have, what insights would be more helpful, like what are sort of the gaps for them. Then taking that, move it up a level, say, you know, I've talked to a couple of folks on your team. Here's maybe what I think we might be able to help you with. Is this, like, is expansion revenue a really important goal for you this year? If so, here are some of the tactics and ways that you might be able to get there. It's very much like a strategic value add conversation Hmm. rather than just cold calling and saying like, Mm -hmm. will you set up a 30 minute meeting right now? It's more about here's some value we think we can add. We can either set up a call can start using the product. I can just send you blogs and other resources about it. Hmm. We can add you to these biweekly product-led revenue calls that so it's like with these PLG leaders at various companies. So the way that I like to describe product-led growth from like the end user perspective is it's like a choose your own adventure. The customer gets to choose their own adventure. Yeah, And so I try to make sure that in our SDR outreach, the same applies.
0: That's incredible, I have to say. (laughs) It's lovely to hear a company and hear it play out in a real strategic way from SDRs all the way through to senior leadership is like, how are we routing an account? How are we gathering information in a strategic way and then leveraging it in a social selling approach? I wonder if you have any insight to this. Do you think that having just the ability to, I don't know, try out the product makes the call to action a little easier? Like it's less pressured towards the stakeholder that SDRs are talking to? Or is navigating the sale essentially the same? It's just one more adventure that they can choose.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's still similar. What I think is, I guess I found it interesting, and then intuitively it just sort of makes sense, is that in these outbound conversations, the people that you're talking to aren't generally then saying, okay, I want to get started with the product right now. You know, I want to, you know, crawl before I start running, can I see a demo of it first? Which is great. Like, let's do that then. (laughs) I think that's, that's definitely the case Mm -hmm. as far as having them reach out. I think it's nice for the prospect to get the choice. So if they do want to start using the product, they can, the option is there. And I think that to some degree puts you at ease. That's like one of these uh, funny ideas in psychology, but giving people the choice of two options. Yeah. (laughs) There's this saying that if you want like a toddler to put shoes on, you don't say like, can you please put on shoes? You're like, which of these two pairs do you want to put on? And then the toddler gets (laughs) to pick their pair of shoes. So um, not that our prospects are all toddlers, but <laughs> but it gives them the choice. Like, do you want to talk to the team and have a demo and have us walk you through it? Do you want to get started in the product? Do you want a hybrid? Do you want, meaning we can set you up with your, your account and your demo could actually be in your specific demo, your environment, like the account that we created for you. And we can kind of walk you through your own data. It's an additional way for them to sort of pick that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, our time's coming to the close, so I have our classic closing question around here anymore, which is, if you only had an hour and every minute counts, Breezy, what would you do with your power hour?
1: Is this supposed to be a, a business answer because oh, I'd yes. probably go to the gym?
0: Yeah. <laughs> totally acceptable answer.
1: <laughs> or take my dog to the park. Or yeah.
0: <laughs> No, I mean, thinking about some of the revenue intelligence and, and product-led stuff we've talked about today, what would you do with an hour?
1: I would just dive into how you could better serve your users across their funnel. So I think it's always good to do a little deep dive. And so I'd probably take an hour to look at, okay, how are we doing when people are signing up and converting down there? How are we doing once people are in there? What's this communication look like? And so I'd probably do a, a dive into that. <laughs> that's probably my answer.
0: That's awesome. I love that. Dog walks are totally acceptable too, just for the record. <laughs> well, I mean, she,
1: that's, that would be her choice. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I've learned a ton. And thank you for, for sharing your insights. Um, Breezy, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn, Correlated, and all my coworkers are all on LinkedIn as well. So you can definitely find us all there or Twitter. And then correlated is getcorrelated.com. I'm always happy to have conversations with folks. I love networking, so definitely feel free to reach out.
0: Awesome, well, thank you very much and uh, have a lovely rest of your day.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Morgan, you too.
0: Are you ready to level up your skills and take on fun challenges with great people that want to see you succeed? Join the One Up Club today. As a member, you get the best insights and takeaways from the show delivered to you every week. Plus, brand new resources developed by our team of sales experts, the team of 10. Go to b2bpowerhour.com slash join to get started today.